This is an Australian Museum podcast. Welcome to Amplify, a regular conversation featuring Australian Museum Director and CEO Kim McKay, speaking to researchers, scientists and other fascinating people from behind the scenes at the Australian Museum. Hello, welcome to the Australian Museum's podcast, Amplify. I'm Kim McKay, the Executive Director and CEO of the Australian Museum. And today I'm going to take you on another amazing journey with one of the Australian Museum's research scientists, Dr. Richard Major. Welcome, Richard. Good morning. It's so good to see you because, Richard, you've been at the Australian Museum for, wow, a lifetime. How long? 26 years now. 26 years. And I should say you're an ecologist and ornithologist, a specialist in birds. So how did that start? Well, actually, I I was a fan of um, Jacques Cousteau movies. And initially, I wanted to be a marine biologist. Fish was my real passion. And so from the time of primary school, I sort of selected my life to go to become a fish biologist. And it was only when I got to the end of first year at university, when I was... um, going on a field trip to Heron Island and thought, well, if I'm going there, I better get my diving license. And I went to the doctor at that point and uh, he wouldn't give me a medical certificate because of asthma. And um, well, normally people in that situation go to a different doctor. But um, it's actually quite a sad time that a friend of my father's had a heart attack underwater, sorry, an asthma attack underwater, and so it seemed like good advice. And so at that point, I switched over from fish, and I still had real passion for biology, and I went from something under the water to something on land. So birds became the thing. Yeah. Good on you. Well, it's, it's so interesting, isn't it, when you are at school and you develop a passion for something and you want to pursue it. So you went to which university to... I went science. to the University of Sydney. Yeah. And um, actually, I, I still did my honours in a. I'm an ecologist. I was really interested in ecology. And so I did a split project there, partially on fish. Mm. I still maintained it, but did aquarium fish for my honours at Sydney University and also um, half a year in plant ecology. And then I, that's when I really focused in birds, was after my honours and went to um, Monash University and did my PhD on birds down there. So what did your PhD specialise in? Well, my PhD was on the ecology of the white-fronted chat. Well, that's so good. I'm so glad you mentioned the white-fronted chat because I have heard you, since I've been at the Australian Museum, speak passionately about this beautiful little bird that is native to southeastern Australia and all the way across to South Australia too, I think. And it really is special and you've done a lot of work on its habitat here in urban areas, particularly around Sydney, haven't you? Yes, well, I had that. I mean, I've got a very strong connection with the chat from my PhD. And then it was sort of fortunate when I came to the museum, had the opportunity to look at the species in Sydney, which where it used to be quite common in salt marshes and, and wetlands. It's a, it's a wetland bird. But um, over time, in a place like Sydney, swamps get drained and estuaries is what they depend on. And that's where we get... Well, people like to live too. So where you get people, we get a lot of habitat destruction. But there's two little populations of chats left in Sydney. And um, one of those is at Homebush Bay and one's at Botany Bay. So, you know, quite close to the centre of the Sydney, these two little populations Absolutely. Remaining. Now, so chat. So when you've brought one in to show us today, which is a, it's a beautiful little uh, animal with uh, black and brown feathers and a full white front. I, 
but it's quite a small bird, isn't it? Yeah, it weighs 12 grams. So if you think a tub of margarines, 250 grams, you could fit 20 of them in a in a margarine tub. So they're you know very small little birds, quite you know, hard to see if you don't know what you're looking for. In fact, uh, they sort of fly more like a butterfly. They've got this flitty flight rather than a strong flight. Wow. And they so they tend to dwell under the shrubbery is that right like other little birds or uh, ground actually they they forage on the ground mm. entirely but they forage in quite open areas so on the edges of um, salt flats and they also like grassland actually very short cropped cropped grass so they need they forage in open spaces um, but they well they roost in mangroves and salt marsh they don't turn up in backyards you know they're not a right. an urban bird they really don't like people they're quite wary they have a, you know if you go near them by flush from a person at a, a much um greater distance than something like a, you know a fairy wren or your you know, typical small urban bird but they're becoming very rare now in sydney aren't they oh yes yeah. so in sydney there would be fewer than 20 birds left in Twi- sydney sorry 20 birds 20, we're talking about. 20 individuals i mean this one i've brought in here this was collected in 1867 wow. from Homebush Bay. So the same population as that we now have one in. I mean, I find actually it's quite an emotional little <laughs> little specimen, this one. It, uh, it is. Um, you, you sort of think about how long they have been living there and then you know, we've managed to have them in the museum for 150 years, but um, you know, now that population will be extinct very shortly down to one individual. I should say that this little individual bird from the 1800s that rests in the Australian Museum collection, it's got the little handwritten tags on it that illustrate where it was collected and when. So the Australian Museum, of course, has this extraordinary natural science collection of well over 18 million species in that collection, I know. And and the bird collection is just remarkable, isn't it? And, And it's so important because, as you said, this little chat tells us a story from before this urban city and sprawl really grew up around it. Yes, I mean, it's, it's how we know that they were right across Sydney. We've got little specimens here sort of taken across that, that range which show that they were in little salt marshes right across the Sydney region and yet we sort of haven't been able to keep a space for them. Now, I know you've been doing some research out at Homebush Bay where this little fellow was found and you just mentioned, and there's just one there now, Mm-hmm. I think you thought they'd all gone. Yes, yeah, so, I mean, it's a sad thing to do, but when we we started this study because we thought they were, a, it was a significant location for them and we knew that there were only a couple of locations left in Sydney, but people didn't know how many there were. So our first thing was just to find out how many birds there were. And we thought, well, the best way of doing this is actually a colour band, some sort of do a mark recapture where we can tell individuals apart and count them. And people had seen flocks of around 10 birds down there and the the first day we went out we were we were quite lucky but um, we we saw a flock of 11 birds and we managed to catch nine of them but then in our subsequent work we realized there was only one flock and uh, so we had we had captured the nine of the 11 birds so really when a population gets to that size it's pretty well doomed and so our project at Homebush Bay then was really looking at what happened to that population. We saw them get a very low reproductive success. Their, their nests get hammered by a range of animals, um, 
you know, feral animals like foxes because they nest close to the ground, but also native birds like ravens that do very well in cities. And mm. so we get very high populations of these predators that can spread out into the natural areas and you know, eat the eggs. So we watched the population decline slowly at first and then it dropped sort of... Um, Coincidentally, it dropped so that the last four birds were all males. So when it got to that stage, we knew it was, you know, functionally extinct. Yeah. And then we saw, saw them drop off down to three males that stayed there for two years. And then the last year we haven't hadn't turned up on any of our surveys. And he thought, well, the last one had gone and then popped up again in, in December. So there's still one there. There's still one there. So no hope of reuniting the poor lonely man with a female? Well, I... I guess as an ecologist, that's sort of it's satisfying, almost a you know a need in us for a Disney ending. Yeah. It's not really the best way of looking after the conservation of species. No, it isn't. And so you've also got a flock of these, or a few flocks down at Botany Bay as well that you're studying. Yeah. So that project's coming to an end, uh, but we've been able to do well. The main project that we've been looking at here is how much urban areas fragment population so you know what is causing the decline we know they've lost their habitat but really you can have isolated patches of habitat that still maintain animal populations because there's birds that can come and go between patches and and build them up the problem with these little populations in sydney we've now found is that they're quite isolated the sydney is such a barrier that urbanization that birds can't fly and rescue them and uh, we found that out with a genetic project. So we've taken feather samples from them and looked at their DNA of those and then neighbouring populations, the nearest ones of which are down at um, Nowra and up at Newcastle. And we've found that they're you know, quite genetically distinct now that mm. they've been you know, isolated and inbred, really. Wow. But of course, what you said earlier about the impact of certainly introduced species like foxes, but also the ravens. You said about the birds that thrive in urban environments. And of course, that leads me to another project that you've been involved in lately, which is this other little creature here that we see commonly in our backyards that are causing a problem, the noisy miner. And of course, firstly, we get noisy miners and Indian miners mixed up all the time, don't we? Yeah, so there's two miners. They're spelt differently. They're quite unrelated. The the noisy miner is a native Australian honey eater, where the, whereas the common miner or Indian miner is mostly known as a close relative of the starling. So it's a different bird family altogether. But they're both sort of small fist-sized birds. They're uh, both got yellow beaks and yellow eyes. So come on, um, what noise do they make? What 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 does the noisy miner uh, sound like? It's just noisy. <coughs> but it's quite complicated it's got many different calls it's got particular alarm calls a whistly call that it uses for aerial predators that really noisy one is one that it uses for ground predators so you can tell what's around by the noise they're making and then there's a lot of just sort of chip 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 calls which you'll hear when you walk across Hyde Park there's miners just communicating with each other okay so it has a yellow beak and it has some yellow around the eyes as well and the gray body and very common you see it everywhere but it is it is a native species in Australia, but it's thriving, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's very interesting because it's a native species that has now been listed as a key threatening process because it itself is leading to the decline and, well, it's it's causing species to become threatened, which means they're you know, heading towards extinction. Small native birds, birds like thornbills and robins and 
fantails and little birds that all the little birds we loved in yeah. our backyards growing up in Sydney. Yeah, and it's because these birds they're so pugnacious, they're so aggressive, and they've got a very complex community structure. Um, sorry, population structure. I mentioned that they um, have very interesting vocal calls. They're communicating all the time, and they they cooperate. So they form these little, um, or they live in colonies, and they form these what we call coteries, which are little groups together. And then within these, they have alliances that that beat up on any predators that come into the place. But they also defend their territories from anything smaller than them. And they've just thrived with the sort of landscapes that humans like. And that tends to be places that have lots of trees and lots of lawn and not so much shrubbery. So they're big issues in urban areas, but probably more of a concern in rural areas where we've got um, the, the bushland that's left is very fragmented and there's a lot of grassland around the edge and they love those edge habitats. So, in fact, you've just been out to western New South Wales, haven't you, looking in some of those areas where there has been significant land clearing and trying to identify the shrubbery and see how these birds thrive there. You've been capturing these birds as part of the process. Uh, yes, so we've got two we're looking at it in two different bioregions of Australia. So we're looking in the northern tablelands and we're also looking in central western New South Wales, so out near Condoblin. And we're, we're working in travelling stock routes, which is where a lot of the remnant vegetation is, is now, now resides. And when you say capture, yes, we are capturing, but we're... we're this is, a, this is my first project at the museum where I've actually been involved in killing birds, that we are capturing these birds by removing them, and that's an experiment to see how long it takes noisy miners to colonise patches you've taken them away from, and also how quickly small birds will come back to those patches. So this is one of those very special cases where the culling of the birds is informing the science research for us to try and be able to understand how they are colonising areas. It's it's not you're doing it for fun. It's actually leading to a, a body of work so, to help us understand why these birds are infiltrating urban areas and driving out the other smaller native birds. Exactly. Our other work, for instance, which was genetic work, we'd capture birds in mist nets, we'd take um, feather samples from them, and from that we could look at their DNA. In this case, we're actually... We need to do this big implementation to... It's the only way you can study their effect in this case is to have a removal sites and then control sites where there's no removal and compare what happens in the two. Certainly. So this information that you're gathering here at the Australian Museum is going to help inform local councils around Australia. It's going to help inform departments of environment around Australia and other universities. So it's very vital work to help us understand how to balance the ecology of our urban environment, isn't it? Yes, and we've got some very good help from, well, as you say, local land services. The people look after the traffic, travelling stock routes are very supportive. The project's funded by the environmental trusts, so from the New South Wales state government, because it is recognised as such a key issue for uh, bird diversity in Australia. Well, Richard Major, it's been fantastic speaking to you today. I know you have a lot more to tell us about birds and the urban environment because I know you've also been doing the cockatoo wing tag study, which is a wonderful citizen science project. So we'll get you back to chat about that in the future and give us an update on both of these projects you've talked about today. Thanks so much. Birds add so much to our life here in 
Australia and we're very fortunate to live in a country where there is such diversity. We want to try and protect that long term and the work you're doing here at the Australian Museum does that. So thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you. So join us next time on Amplify at the Australian Museum. This has been an Australian Museum podcast. 